Good morning. As you make your way inside today, let's all stand and together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing Joy to the World and then the first Noel. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and Nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come and worship you today. And I do pray that it would be your Holy Spirit that moves, 
within our midst, drawing us nearer to you. And we do celebrate your birth for this Christmas season as a reminder once again how that you yourself sent your only begotten son for the sole purpose that he might die on the cross to offer us eternal life. We thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, Ed, come check out my North Star Christmas tree topper at Levitate's. Is this a gummy bear? Yeah, we lost baby Jesus. Hey, check out these LED lights. I have them synced up to a 76-hour all-Christmas music playlist. There's my little Christmas DJ. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you waiting till Christmas is over so you can go buy a new nativity set when they're on sale? Huh? No, no, oh no. We lost baby Jesus like 11 years ago. Is, is baby Jesus always a gummy bear? Oh, no, oh, we trade it out every year. Yeah, like uh, last year it was a uh, tiny troll doll. And the year before that we used a uh, dog treat. They were the perfect size, but <laughs> Dalton kept taking them and eating them. You, you mean your dog kept stealing them? No, my son Dalton, he loves those dog treats. Especially the peanut butter ones. There was one year that we used a, uh, a doll head. That was creepy. We, we made a modeling clay, baby Jesus. The dog took that one too. Um, one year we got desperate and used an ice cube. That was a miss and a mess. Yeah, just seems like everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never lasts. Say that again. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to last. And? And what? Say it again, slowly. Why? Just do it, dulcimo, slowly, do it. I don't understand what's happening. Just do it. This is getting weird. Say it! Fine! <laughs> but when I'm done saying this, you're gonna march in here, and you're gonna watch my star levitate. Fine, 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 do it. Fine. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to, oh, yep, there it is. Okay, Merry Christmas.
if you would please stand again if you're able to. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing, Oh, Praise the Name. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died. His hands, His feet, my Savior on that cursed tree.
please. I would like you all to take your Bibles with me, if you would, and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 6 this morning. Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. Title of our message is A Prophetic Progression. Isaiah is one of the major prophets. When we look in this text, we find it prophesying of the coming Christ, the Messiah. And in this verse, we find a progression from his birth all the way through his entire ministry, all within one very small context. So our goal this morning is to, re to be reminded of how people so, they so looked forward to the coming Christ. Just as you and I, even in our generation, are looking forward to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, as prophesied throughout the Bible. First taking place with the rapture, and then seven years of tribulation, then Christ coming back, establishing a thousand year reign. All of that to take place in the future. But here you find the nation of Israel, who would have looked into these prophetic books and they would draw from this text and understand the coming of the Savior, the Messiah. Now, in many ways, they had limited understanding. They could only interpret that which yet had not come. So that's why when you look at the life of Christ, you find that so many people at that time struggled with who he was and what he was going to do. But as it unfolded, then they understood what the Bible was prophesying concerning him. My goal this morning with you is that we would celebrate the birth of Christ even as they looked forward to the coming of Christ. You and I look back and in wonder, we celebrate him as our savior. So look with me at Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, very famous prophetic verse about the coming of Christ. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless this text as we look into it. I pray that you would help us to draw from it those spiritual truths that might help us to understand him better, understand the gift better that you have given to us, and help us to draw nearer to our Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The reason I call this a prophetic progression is because literally it starts at the very birth. So we begin at the manger, and then we go beyond the manger all within this text. When you look there at verse uh, 6, it starts out by simply stating to us, For unto us a child is born. When we think of that statement, we might think to ourselves, Well, if this is talking about the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the one prophesied of, then this child born would be born in royalty or the high priest's house or somebody of great fame, power and influence, but just the op opposite. 
In fact, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 prophesied, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. So just a young woman, a virgin girl, would bear the Son of God. A miraculous birth only can, accomplish, can only be accomplished through the power of God. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Such an amazing picture when we begin to see the humility that the Lord Jesus Christ was born in. Here, this is the Son of God. God could have chosen anywhere at any time to have the Lord Jesus Christ born. But he chose more Mary, a young woman, not a woman of means, who's engaged to a young man who is not a man of means in a family that is just a common family. And here we find that they are called to go back to their hometowns to be uh, taxed for the roles to be put together for taxation. And as they go, there's no room in the inn. So they have no influence, no power. They're not like a, a Roman governor or a king or, or a, a Caesar. They can't dictate and take control of somebody's home. So only by the grace of an innkeeper, he says, you can go head down and stay in the manger. And that is where our Lord Jesus Christ is born. So when we look here at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, when we look at that beginning, for unto us a child is born, we have to, in hindsight, looking back, understand the humility of God being willing to be born in such, such really meager circumstances. We, we, we look back in wonder and awe. The people of that day, they were looking forward. They could never imagine such a humble birth. But you and I, because we know our Lord, because we know the Gospels, because we know the, what transpired, the teachings of the Scriptures, we can look at this in awe. Such a humble beginning was only an indicator of a humble life. That's why the Bible tells us that Christ came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That humble, humble spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even being willing to wash the feet of others. Be, be involved in, minister to, and care for the most downtrodden, the most exiled, even the lepers of the community. He was a humble minister who came to pay the price for your sin and mine. So when we look at this text and we look at that simple phrase, for unto us a child is born, there's so much built into that. But he doesn't stop there because remember, this is a prophetic progression. So he talks about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us, that yes, a child is born, but he adds to it. He says to us, unto us a son is given. So this helps us to begin to connect the dots that this is a prophetic text. 
Because many babies have been born. Now he wants to build upon it. He wants us to understand that this would be a boy child. A son is born. The progression begins here to understand that this would be the Christ child. For certainly this young family, this would be an opportunity of celebration. Because here they had their first child, a son. Even as prophesied by the angel who came and told Mary, you would bear a son. A son by the Holy Ghost. A son of God. So as she saw this come to place, as, he, as she saw this come to fruition, can you imagine the celebration within her heart, within Joseph, this all of a sudden, all that he was told in the midst of his fear and his concern, we see it come to pass. Can you imagine the relief as he sees his faith come to life? A son is given. And then he builds a little more upon this prophecy. He tells us, yes, a child is born. And unto us, yes, a son is given. But he takes a huge leap in this prophecy when he says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So now we begin to understand why the nation of Israel was so confused when it came to the coming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're looking for a ruler, a king, a general, an emperor. They're looking for somebody to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. To reestablish Israel as a kingdom of might. But Jesus Christ came as the suffering savior. And the kingdom that he reigns over is a spiritual kingdom. You and I know that the Bible teaches us that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But in that, we understand that he is the king over our hearts, our lives, our souls. It is not until that millennial kingdom is set up in the end times that we will see him rule with a rod of iron. But throughout these ages, throughout this time, he rules within the hearts and lives of those who know and love him. So as we look at this simple phrase, that upon him the government shall be upon his shoulders, we understand that not only is there great spiritual implication here, but there's prophecy that goes beyond his birth in the manger all the way to the end times of him ruling. And yes, ruling forever. For he is God. And as much as man might like to think that he is his own God, he is his own God only in his own mind. For there is an almighty king. There is an almighty God. There is one whose government shall never end. And that is God almighty. And Christ himself came as the son of God. God in the flesh. But I told you that there are two things that we draw out of this text. We look into the manger, but then we look beyond the manger. So he starts there and builds past the manger. He told us a child is born. That child is a son. And that son, the government, shall be upon his shoulders. But look at what he now does past the manger. He says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. <laughs> 
Now, when you look there in our English 1611 Bibles, you see that it has wonderful, calmer counselor. But when you go back to the Hebrew, they're linked together in concept and context. So he is that wonderful counselor. As a leader that sits at the gate of the city and counsel those who come in. We don't have that today. If you drive into Virgen's and you pass the little entering Virgen's sign, you're not going to see the mayor of the town sitting at the side of the gate. They're not going to be there and you're not going to come up and introduce yourself. Hey, I live out in such and such and I've come to the big city of Virgen's and I'm looking for the wisdom and counselor of the mayor. We're not going to see that here, at least not yet. Who knows what tomorrow holds? But in reality, at that time, that really is the way often it was. The mayor or the governor or the sitting power of a village or a city, they would sit at the gate. And as people came in, they would address them. They would communicate with them about what their need was in the city. And they would come with their concerns and their fears. And those leaders were expected to give counsel. Wise counsel. And here this text tells us that our Lord Jesus Christ would be that wonderful counselor. In fact, even at 12 years old, if you read in your Gospels, it tells us that as his mom and dad brought him to Jerusalem and they had left to go back home, thought he was mingling with the family, got a couple days journey out and said, hey, anybody seen Jesus? Because I haven't seen him for a couple days. And they looked and searched. They couldn't find him. They went back to Jerusalem. And where was he? He was still at the temple. Luke chapter 2 verse 47 says... All that heard him at 12 years old were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now, I have met some impressive 12 year olds, but none that made me step back and stand in wonder at their amazing understanding and answers. Jesus put them in awe of his wonderful counsel. As they talked about the Bible there at the temple, as the priests and scribes debated, and as they shared, Christ sat, it tells us he sat, he listened, asked questions and answered questions. The wonderful counsel began even at 12 years old. In John chapter 7, verse 46, it tells us that even his enemies said, never a man spake like this. Now, can you imagine? Among those who wanted to arrest him, kill him, they themselves admitted, never a man spake like this. So all the way back in Isaiah, all the way to the manger scene, and beyond the manger, those words echo out that he would be called Wonderful Counselor. But let's go back to our text, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, because it continues to progress 
Not only is he that wonderful counselor that we're introduced to at 12 years old, but it goes on and it says, he is the mighty God. Now that is important for us to step back and look at. Because this is not just a babe in a manger. In the little video that we saw today, where somebody put their gummy bear in there to replace Jesus, how true it is that you cannot replace Jesus with an ice cube, a gummy bear, a troll doll, a dolly head. Nothing can replace Jesus. And there are people who try to replace Jesus with all kinds of crazy things. They try to replace Jesus with drugs. Try to replace Jesus with alcohol, with sex, with money, with power. It's, the list goes on. Material goods, sports, entertainment. Anything to distract themselves and pull them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can replace Jesus. Because he is the mighty God. It is one of the truths that mankind struggles so with. They have this difficulty of understanding that God would leave heaven above, take upon himself the form of a man, and be willing to be born in a manger. God. But the Bible's clear. This babe that was born in a manger, this son that was given, this babe who would grow to have the government upon his shoulders. Yes, this Lord Jesus Christ, who is a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. Matthew 28, 18 says, all power is given unto him in heaven and earth. That's part of the great commission. When he told us to go forth and to share the gospel around the world, he says, I go with you. And my power is with him, the Lord, who is with us forever. Because he is the mighty God. Romans 14, 11 says, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So when somebody tries to say to you, well, Jesus is not God. What they're really saying to you is, I don't understand how Jesus can be God. Because Jesus is God. Whether you or I comprehend it, whether we can wrap our head around it, whether it's a concept that we ourselves can absorb, the reality is the Bible teaches us that Jesus is God. So when we bow our knee, when we bend our knees, when we bow our heads, when we confess he is Lord, we are reaching out to God. All the way back in Isaiah 9, 6, God wanted the people then to understand that this coming Messiah, this child that we're going to celebrate his birth at the end of this week, that child is God, sent from above that he might Woo you and I as sinners to salvation. Go back with me to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Because he continues to progress past the manger. 
Yes, a child is born. Yes, he's a, sin, a son. Yes, he has the government upon his shoulders. All that lies in the manger. But beyond that, what do we see? We are told that his, he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. And then listen to this next one. The everlasting father. Boy, does God want to drive home the point to the nation of Israel. He tells you and I, yes, no, he is God. But he says, I want you to understand he is the everlasting father. So we find the, the Trinity linked together here. He wants us to grasp that at the end of this week, when we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the birth of Christ, we are celebrating the everlasting father being willing to suffer. And die for your sins and mine. 1 John 5, 7 through 9 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his father. I love that text. Now, my Bible has that text in it. There are Bibles that take that text out. And there has been generations of argument and discussion about that text. But I love that text. It reassures me about my Lord Jesus Christ. Do I, do I ignore or, or try to deny that there are people who are critics of the scriptures and they have gone through through the generations and taken out parts and added parts in different versions? Sure, that has happened. But here it remains. And when you go to the Textus Receptus and you go to those ancient manuscripts, there it is that our Lord Jesus Christ he is part of that trinity. He is God. There's no debate about Isaiah 9, 6. Even though there are those who try to cut out of the Bible, 1 John 5, 7 through 9, they don't cut out Isaiah 9, 6. And Isaiah 9, 6 says he is the everlasting father. So when we start talking about the trinity, when we start talking about the father, the word, and the Holy Ghost. We find that throughout the scriptures. Our Lord is there. Revelation 1.8 says. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending. Saith the Lord. Which is. Which was. And which is to come. The Almighty. So when we look here in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. And we find that phrase, that progression from the manger on. And he tells us that he is the everlasting father. Then we humble ourselves before him. Even as the three wise men traveled and journeyed. To bring an offering unto the Christ child. Who is the wonderful counselor. Who is... God, the everlasting father. 
And the last thing he says to us in this progression in Isaiah 9, 6 is that he is the Prince of Peace. It's an interesting thing that the Bible weaves that throughout it. Often you will find references to peace in connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the angels, when they came to talk to the shepherds in the field when Jesus was born that very night, what did they say? They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. So the angels themselves give a proclamation that you and I have yet to see. Around the world, you see people cry for peace. The Bible talks about that in the end times, there will be people who will say, peace, peace, and Jesus will come back. There's always been a searching for peace. In fact, the other day, Sandra Joe and I were doing a little channel searching and we came across, and I don't know if it was Miss Universe or Miss World or Miss America or whatever it was. We saw it there and we kind of moved on. But it clicked in my mind. What's, for a long time, what was the most common response of these gals who wanted to be Miss America and stuff? You know, if you could change one thing or what would be the greatest desire you would have as Miss America? world peace. So even Miss America wants world peace. Even the angels want world peace. But world peace is an elusive thing. Mankind, ever since Adam and Eve, have had the sin nature within them. And because of that sin nature, they war against each other. How early did that begin? All the way back at the two boys of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. You find Cain slay Abel. Still goes on all around the world. Every day. While you and I sit in the safety of our homes and in our community, as we come and worship here in this warm, wonderful place, there are other people in the world who are hiding at this very moment from those who would take their lives. So when we look at this verse that says to us that he is the Prince of Peace, we have to stop and we have to look and we have to consider what is it talking about? He's talking about a peace that passeth understanding. It's not talking about a peace from neighbor to neighbor, friend to friend, or husband to wife. He's talking about a peace from the very inner person, a peace between them and God, and yes, even themselves. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, Jesus, before he departed, before he was gone, he wanted his disciples and you and I throughout the ages to understand he offers us peace. He is the Prince of Peace. But that peace is a peace that is not the kind of peace the world seeks after. It's not the peace that Miss America would like to see come to pass. It's a peace 
within the heart and soul. Because the Bible has reminded us many, many times that our lives are but just a vapor. They appear for a time, then they are gone. It's not the peace on this earth that brings to you and I the most meaning. It is the peace that transcends this earth, that is of the deepest and most importance. So Christ is the Prince of Peace. But his peace is not the peace of this world. It's the peace where we wake up in the morning and know my God is with me. It is the peace of knowing that he has paid for my sins and washed my soul clean because I put my faith and trust in him. It is the peace of knowing that when I do pass from this life into the next, whether it be in a violent death of warfare or I slip into eternity in my sleep, the next breath is in my heavenly home where the Prince of Peace welcomes me in. That is the peace that we find in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there are powerful prophetic implications about him ruling and reigning for a thousand years and being the Prince of Peace. Yes, there are powerful prophetic teachings about the new heaven and the new earth at the very end of this earth's time. But Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace today. Amen. In your heart and mine, if we will just but let him rule and reign. When we look here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we find powerful truths. It's such a short verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Not a long verse, but a verse that is Powerful, full of truth, life-changing truth. You and I, what do we do with such truth? We meditate upon it. We think about it. We embrace it. We celebrate it. We sing about it. We worship the truths that are wrapped in it. Because in that one little verse, we see from the manger into eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that this week, as we draw to the end of this coming week, we will celebrate his birth. There will be so many things going on, parties, family functions, but we need to be careful as Christians because our peace is not in the party. Our peace is not in the company bonus. Our peace is not in all the family get-togethers. Our peace rests in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, the everlasting Father. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, if you would. As your head is bowed and as you look in your heart, I ask you today, who is it that you are celebrating this Christmas season? 
Is it the Savior that is spoken of in Isaiah 9, 6? Or is it the Santa Claus of today? The celebration of the week? Have you replaced Jesus with a mere gummy bear? I want to challenge you this morning. Whether you're live streaming the service or whether you're worshiping in person here. In your heart and in your soul, come to Christ. Lay your sins at the foot of the altar. Call upon him and accept him into your heart and into your life. That he might rule and reign in you and give you that peace that passeth understanding. Father in heaven, as we come to the end of this service, I pray for your Holy Spirit to work and to move. Help us to exalt you and honor you. For you truly are worthy. Thank you for the prophecies of old. Thank you for the New Testament that teaches us of the fulfillment of those prophecies. And Lord, with anticipation and excitement, we look forward to see all the fulfillment of the end time prophecies. But today, we by faith look to you as our Savior, our God, our everlasting Father. And I ask that you move in our hearts and our souls, that each one of us might commit and yield to you today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's close our service this morning by singing Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story how the Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me.
are dismissed this morning.